Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. To our joy series this Sunday morning and to help me preach what is my favorite of all verses in Philippians. And it'll be a joy just to sit over there at the side and listen to him unpack an incredible passage of scripture. And so he's coming today. Pastor Justin works with our students and our groups and really just a right hand here at the church to me. I'm so grateful for him and his family. And so let's do this. Let's make welcome this morning, Pastor Justin, as he preaches. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Man, when your boss gets up and says you're getting ready to preach his favorite verse in all Philippians. Yes, you know. Well, if you're here and you think, well, I really wanted to come and hear Pastor Anthony, but I'm having to settle for Pastor Justin, I just want you to know I taught him everything he knows, all right? That's all that you need to know. I didn't at all. In fact, I'm incredibly humbled and grateful anytime I get to preach from the stage where Anthony preaches. Uh, Just an incredible preacher of God's Word. I'm grateful to him and uh, his friendship. Long before there was Connect Church, we were were super tight, and so I'm more grateful for that than anything, but especially Connect Church and the chance to preach this morning. I, I really do appreciate it. Honored honored to be here and do that. You know, and I'm not just honored to preach here. I'm honored to preach here because it's Connect Church, man. It's my favorite church in all the United States, and I get to be with you guys today in worship, and that excites me more than anything, to be able to bring the Word with you all and learn something from the Word of God today is super, super exciting. And just a quick word to our graduates. You know, Connect Church is not even two years old yet. And so when you think about a church that's not even two years old yet, and you see the number of graduates you saw come across this stage, there ought to be a moment, and we're grateful for you all, but I'm grateful for the work of God in your life and in our church too, because that is just a pretty humbling thing to think back not even two years ago when we were meeting at a lodge, or even before that we were meeting at a barn, to being able to recognize you all and watch you continue to take your next steps in following Jesus in your life. And that's pretty incredible to be able to be part of so many of your all's lives like that. That's awesome stuff. So we're grateful for you guys, too. We're proud of you um, as well, right? The title of today's message, the title of today's message is your life is not the point, but it's not pointless. Your life is not the point, but it's not pointless. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1, and let's pray together before we dive into the Word of God. And God, thank you so much for this day, for your word, for the encouragement of this paragraph where we're going to be spending the majority of our time today and what it teaches us, it tells us, Father. God, it's such a well-known verse, but yet so rich for us. I cannot imagine that there's a single life in this room, even with all the different circumstances. God, I cannot imagine there's a single life amongst those circumstances God, this verse applies to them all. It'll speak to every single one of us. I'm so grateful for that, Father. Your word pierces to the heart. It changes us, convicts us. It's a reminder to me, God, that you are present in my life, calling me out to take steps in faith and to trust you. And I need that. I need it. So, God, we just pray your blessing in this moment, in that hearts today, in this time, will begin to stir the places of action with what you're telling us to do. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, 
we pray, amen. Amen. And recently, you may know this, we have been studying through the book of Philippians. We've been in chapter 1 for quite a while, right? And we're in a sermon series called Happy. Happy. Uh, as we look at the words of Paul, to give you a little bit of context, we've been going through this. So if you've not been with us in person or you've not been able to connect digitally during this season, Paul is chained up in prison, persecuted. And we're preaching a series from what he learned and what he taught in that season of his life called Happy. As we look at the words of Paul, who was writing these things while chained, I, I want to tell you guys this. Today, we're going to be looking at one of the most powerful declarative statements in all of the Word of God. This declarative statement is found, by the way, in one of the most encouraging paragraphs in all of the Word of God. And if you're not careful, if we don't spend appropriate amount of time diving into it, you can pass over it as just a passage about life or just a passage about death or just a passage about purpose when really this paragraph deals with all of those things in incredible detail for us as believers. It's not only full of declarative statements. The whole paragraph it's surrounded by is declarative and true and powerful for the life of every believer in all of our circumstances. Here's what it says, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to start right here at uh, verse 19. It says, yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul chained up, if you remember. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If, I'm, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. My goal today my goal today with each and every single one of us is to lead us to a place where in this service, we're going to make some declarative statements about our life. It's what Paul did. We're going to make some declarative statements about our lives that are centered around who we are as children of God. And just so you know, Paul accomplished this very thing in the life of believers by leading every believer to understand that Christ will be exalted in our lives our deaths, and at all times in us. Christ is exalted. In our lives, in our relationships is what I mean by that. In our deaths, by the way, we have rewards. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. And in us, we have our circumstances. Paul exalted Christ in all things by making Christ his everything. He exalted Christ in all things. So how can we exalt Christ in our life no matter the circumstances? Let me tell you declarative statement number one. 
And you can take these to the bank. I'm not talking about speaking truth over your life. I'm talking about declarative statements, meaning that it's affirmed throughout all the Word of God. It's in the Word of God. And no matter where you are today, where you came from, what circumstances you're dealing with, these declarative statements are true for every single one of us. They apply to all of us. There's nothing happening in our world and nothing happening here in this room in our lives that these statements will not apply to. And here's statement number one. I do not have to fear. I do not have to fear because I know what to expect. I do not have to fear because I know what to expect. Can I ask you guys a question? What are you most fearful of? I ask this question all the time because I'm fascinated by it. I'm, I'm afraid of spiders, and last week I was afraid of a corn snake. It's in my yard. Have I found it? No, I've not find, found it. Will I find it? Probably not. My son Parker, two years old, will probably be the one to find the corn snake, right? I don't know what you're fearful of, but I'm fearful of a lot of things in life. It's a fascinating question. You know what we assume, though, about fear? We assume that most people, if not all people, are scared of death, don't we? that there's some element of fear associated with death. And there's a ton of funny quotes and sayings about that, but it's, it's not necessarily the fear of death itself, but it's the fear of how we're going to die, right? Well, I couldn't help but wonder in preparing this message where we're going to be studying this declarative statement from Paul, to live is Christ, to die is gain, and we couldn't talk about death. We have to go there. And so I couldn't help but wonder, is the, like, the fear of death actually the thing that most people are fearful of. And so I looked up some studies. And I just looked it up, I looked up studies that were based on the United States of America. That's us. So I didn't want to go across the world. That's not necessarily our context. Where we live is not necessarily their context. I wanted to focus on us. And all studies that just focused on the United States basically showed me the same thing. I was pretty taken back by it that the fear of death and the anxiety associated with the fear of death is either number 19 or 20 on the things that most Americans are fearful of. You know what that made me think? What are the other 18 or 19 things? <laughs> like I could start listing them out, but I don't know if I could come up with 18 or 19 things that I'm more fearful of than death. Well, sure enough, there's studies on it with percentages and everything. And here's a few things. I'm not going to list all of them, but here's a few things that Americans are more scared of than death. Number one, the number one biggest fear for people who live in the United States, 74% of people had this as their top fear. And that is, believe it or not, corrupt government officials. The number one fear above death is corrupt government officials. The second biggest fear of Americans is not having enough money for the future, right? Not having enough money. I don't have that as a fear in my life. I'm more, I'm a, I'm more worried that I've spent all my money today, right? Like, I don't know I've planned that far ahead, but corrupt government officials, not having enough money for the future. Number three was high medical bills. High medical bills. That's a real thing for us, isn't it? The other one was the U.S. will be involved in another world war, one of the things in front of the fear of death for people living in the United States is a nuclear bomb, but not just a nuclear bomb, a nuclear bomb from North Korea made the list above fear of death. We're pretty specific here in the U.S. Another thing that was on the list before our fear of death was identity theft. 
What's it matter, guys? I mean, I don't know, I'm not scared about dying. I'm just scared what's going to happen to me once I die. Like here, I don't know. Identity theft made the list. And number seven was credit card fraud above the fear of death. So here's what I've gathered from all of my study that I'm bringing to you today at church. You can take this with you forever. Basically, we're okay with dying so long as our bills are paid, identity is protected, retirement is intact, and we are living peaceably. That's some things we've, we've decided in the U.S. that we're okay with. You know what it tells me, though, and why I was, thought that was important to put in here? It is a little perplexing, isn't it? That we're more concerned about what's happening here on earth when we die rather than what happens to us after we die. It's a little more concerning when you start to break that down a little bit. I also found some information I wanted to share with you guys because I, I found it interesting. And this information really deals with the fear of death in general. And here's what I found. Did you know women tend to be more afraid of death than men? Now, that's not surprising to me. I'm raising two boys. If my wife was not around my two boys 90% of the time, they don't make it to tomorrow. You know what I mean? If you've raised boys, you know how it works. They're like, oh, look, Parker's jumping on the bed. And then in one moment, Parker's jumping off the bed. You know what I mean? Like, it's amazing how your kids can be so little yet so brave as they feel invincible. We see that in studies. Additionally, a newer study has found that while death and the anxiety from the fear of death seem to surface in both women and men during their 20s, women also experience a second surge of death anxiety or the fear of death when they reach their 50s. Here's one, and it caught me weird when I first read it, but I started thinking about my own life, and it would have described me when I was in my 20s, 32 now, so I'm really getting up there. But here it is, young people are just as likely to experience death, fear, and the fear of death, the death anxiety or the fear of death, as elderly people. Think about that. And if you've been a while since you've been in your 20s, I remember thinking about that. Like, man, I've got so much of my life ahead of me. If I was to pass away today, I'm going to miss out. It's like the ultimate fear in our nation, FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. But I had that when I was younger. Like, here's how it typically played out. Every time they announced a new Star Wars movie, you know what went through my mind? God, don't take me home before December. You know what I mean? Like, I got to make it. Like, out of everything, Father, if you can just let me get to that next, I got to know what happens, right? The FOMO, the fear of missing out. Another thing I found was there appears to be some correlation between a person's educational and socioeconomic status and reduced fear of death in our nation. Basically says the more educated we are and the more money we have, the less we worry. Almost like, well, we've got it, right? I've lived a good life. I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. I've got it. I'm good. I, I could pass away today. I've, I've made it. And here's the last thing I learned in this study, that no studies that I have found to this point have found an association between religious engagement and reduced fear or anxiety of death. See, so what's that mean? Well, according to these studies, the only thing in America that reduces our anxiety around death is the reaching of personal and financial goals. Those two studies seem to correlate, don't they? When you start to break that down just a little bit. You know what we find Paul doing in Philippians, chained up? We don't find him preparing for his potential death by counting his possessions or completing a bucket list 
or the reaching of personal or financial goals. You know what we find Paul doing? Considering life and death? Rejoicing. That's what we find Paul doing. Rejoicing for the provision of God and the prayer of God's people. When considering his life and potential death, Paul said it like this, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. By the way, this is the same Paul who said it this way in Romans 8.28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's what we find from Paul chained up considering life and death. The second thing we find Paul doing here is waiting expectantly. Waiting expectantly. He would go on in verse 20 and say it this way. I love this terminology. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now so, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You know what word stuck out to me in that whole verse right there is the word ashamed. Why would Paul be ashamed? You've heard about his circumstances and how he reacted to them. Why the fear of Paul in this moment to be ashamed of anything? And that word doesn't play in this passage, like it does naturally in our minds in today. And here's why. That word ashamed means to eagerly expect. To eagerly expect. It gives the image of a watchman, and not just any watchman, but a watchman whose job it is to look out in the distant night, waiting for the signal, a light, something. This says the battle has been won. A watchman eagerly waiting, not focused on his circumstances or his fears, but waiting for the sign in the distance that says we got it covered. We've won. That's what that word ashamed is. And when you think about it, you say, I don't know. Well, think about that real quick. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, that I will in no way be let down, that what I'm hoping for and expecting, I'm eagerly awaiting, knowing as I look into the distance, not focused on my present circumstances, that God will deliver me. And what did he say? Either in life or death. It implies that word ashamed, the ability to look past our present circumstances in eager expectation of what God is going to do in life or in death. The second declarative statement is the big one. It's the big one. It's small, it doesn't have a lot of words. You may not even consider it the most profound thing you've ever heard until you spend enough time there. Because right after Paul says that, he says these words in Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is the ultimate declarative statement for us as believers. And by the way, this was Paul's purpose statement. And I cannot think of a better purpose statement for us, for me, you to adopt today. This verse is so rich that it requires us to stop and spend ample amount of time. And if I can encourage you to do anything, just for time's sake, we won't do it today. I would encourage you to memorize this verse. 
to repeat it over and over and over again until you know it like the back of your hand. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you ever heard this statement? You guys heard this statement before? Um, live life to the fullest. You ought to live life to the, I've heard that so many times. It's a pretty common statement. I think we've all heard it. And here's the truth. We all live for something. And if we had to rewrite this declarative statement for Paul, we might say like this, for to me to live is, you could finish the sentence. If you had to rewrite it, how would you rewrite it? For to me to live is, where would you put in? I thought a long time this week about that question. What's the thing you need to be happy? What are you most proud of? Where do you spend most of your time? For men in the room, what would you neglect your family for? Or do you just need a day away? And you know what happens if women are like, what's that mean? You know what every man in the room thought? Bass boat. That's what they thought. I need a fishing pole and a bass boat. I can go to the lake right now, and I'm good, right? That's, I want to know how many men in here, when I asked the question, thought bass boat, right? What would you do? Right? I can't help but wonder that. And you know what it is for me, by the way? I would say like this, for to me, to live is not anything green, like not any vegetables. That's what it means for me. That's the one I came up with in all my profound study this week is to me, to live is not eating vegetables. That's it. It's as deep and as complex as it goes. I don't know how you answer that question. Can I take a moment and show you the problem with this thought? Everyone will live for something, but death is not a gain for everyone who lives. Did you catch that? Everyone lives for something. But death is not a gain for everyone who lives. You say, well, what, that's not what Paul said. No, that's exactly what he said. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's a follower of Christ. You see, the problem with that thought process is no matter how you finished it, let's just go through some, and this isn't mine, uh, it's a great way to think about it, though. If for me to live is Christ, then to die is gain. But if for me to live is money, then to die is to leave it all behind. If for me to live is fame, then to die is to be forgotten. If for me to live is pleasure, then to die is to miss all the fun. If for me to live is ambition, then to die is to become insignificant. If for me to live is possessions, then to die is to have all of them rust and fade away. But, church, if for me is to live is Christ, then to die is gain. You see the difference in the two? It's a pretty important point. But this, this presented a unique question for me. How could dying be gaining if you have everything you want? Because here's the reality. We've lived a long time being taught that if you'll sit down with someone and you'll talk to them about the God-sized hole in their heart, that they're going to realize they need something. But we live in a nation where the majority of people have all of their needs and even their wants taken care of. So maybe you're here today and you say, Justin, dying couldn't possibly be a gain for me. My life is fine. It's going according to plan. I've got everything I could possibly desire. All my bases are covered. Or maybe you have a friend. Maybe you're one who's told you that. I've had people tell me that. That while Jesus sounds great, that they don't have a need for him right now. So what, what do you say then? 
the only way I know to help you understand how dying is gaining is to talk with you about the wonder of heaven. If you're like me, then you have questions about heaven. And I can't answer every question in our time today. Honestly, we could spend a year answering questions on heaven. But I wanted to answer some of the ones I felt applied here and some of the ones I've had. Do those in heaven, will they know who we are when we get there? You ever wondered that? I spent all week trying to not get emotional here, so you bear with me. Do those in heaven know what's happening on earth? You ever thought that question? Will we know if those we love are not in heaven? And how could heaven possibly be joyful if I have to live knowing that someone I love is in hell? You ever wondered those questions? How could dying be a gain? Let me answer a few of those in our time together today. Number one, Will we know each other in heaven? Undoubtedly, 100%, yes. Catch this. A baby is born in a home, the grandmother dies. She goes to heaven and is expecting a grandchild there, a little baby there. A little brother dies and he goes to heaven. He's expecting a little child there. Three years pass and the mother dies and she's expecting a teenager there, a youth there. The years pass, he marries, his wife dies and she's expecting a husband there. And the years pass, and the grandchild dies, and the grandchild is expecting a grandfather there. What will it be? The baby expected by some all through the years, expected by other members of the family, and finally, finally an aged grandfather expecting a grandchild. What will it be? The answer is this. We will know each other in heaven intuitively. And it's seen throughout the word of God, if you don't believe me. Let me ask it this way. Will my father who's in heaven know my sons? You better believe it. Will those who've gone before you know you? You better believe it. One main motivating factor for living for Christ and doing well in this life is knowing that those I love will get to be with me and the others that I love in heaven. And I anticipate the day that I sit in heaven eating lunch with my family, my whole family, while talking in person with Moses and Abraham and David and Paul and Peter and Jesus. You get the point. But you don't need to take my word for it. We have an example of this intuitive knowledge in word of God. Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration recognized Moses and Elijah intuitively. That's in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 33. You have another example of that in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Many shall come from the east and the west, sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. How do they know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? We know them, and we will know them intuitively. And when that little baby or that youth or man, or grandchild, when they all get to heaven, they will know each other intuitively. In the same way God just was, we will just know. That's the wonder of heaven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says it like this, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. We shall not know less of each other in heaven than we know of each other here. In fact, I would tell you the opposite of that. 
that we don't really know the full parameters, if I was to find a word there, of life until we get to heaven. If I had more time today, I would spend with you walking through the word of God, how we will not only know each other in heaven, but we will maintain personality and individuality in heaven. The word of God gives indication of that. Do those in heaven know what's happening on earth? Yes. In heaven, we shall have knowledge generally from what we tell in Scripture of what's developing in this world. Hebrews 12.1, you know Hebrews, a chapter of faith there. Where, wherefore, we seeing we are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. This passage does not deny or turn away the thought that people in heaven look down and know what's going on on this earth. In 1 Samuel 28, 15 through 19, Samuel in this other world, but he knew what was developing about King Saul and Israel in this world. In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, our Lord says, I say unto you, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents. And in verse 10, likewise, I say unto you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. In Luke 15, 10, that's what it says. Who are these rejoicing ones who are there with the angels in heaven? They are the saints in heaven, those who have gone before us that know when somebody professes faith in Christ. I can't speak to how all that plays out with every instance of this life, but it means the most to me. You know, I spent a lot of days during the pandemic watching the pandemic counter, right? How many people are diagnosed today? How many people passed away today? I don't know how much time you spent looking at that, but I can't help but wonder in heaven if names are popping up. Every time somebody walks down an aisle or comes to church and gives their life to Christ, and then one day, my Jesus, my Father who's in heaven, my grandfather and grandmother and other grandfather who's in heaven will one day look up and see my child's name and know that they gave their life to Christ. What a thought that they could know how God's working on this earth. If our loved ones do not arrive in heaven, will we know that? How can we be happy without knowing? The answer is this. They will not be remembered. They will be as if they never lived. There is no life or existence outside of Christ. Deuteronomy 25, 19, he will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Psalm chapter 9, verse 5, you have rebuked the heathen. You have put out their names forever. Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. And Psalm 109, 13, let their name be blotted out. If someone dies without Christ, their names are blotted out. It is as though they never existed. They were never born. I believe Paul understood this. There is no life. There is no existence. There is no remembrance outside of living Lord Jesus. For to me, to live is Christ, but die is gain. And I'm going to close with our last declarative statement. For the sake of time, I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. I am prepared to live. I am prepared to die. I am prepared to live. I am prepared 
to die. And I get this in verse 22. I want you to read it, then we're going to go over it quick and close out. You need to hear this if you don't know Christ today. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body convinced of this. I know that I will remain. Can I tell you what Paul's doing here? Paul's torn. He said in the very beginning before Philippians 121, he, he reminded himself all the things that he knew he would do, knowing that God, that Jesus, was going to exceed his expectations. He made a declarative statement, say, hey, I know there's a reward for death, and that while my life on this earth isn't about me, it's not pointless. It's not about here. It's about being with Jesus. And then he gets to the end and says, because of that, I'm torn between the two. And Paul has some great reminders from us. If you were to say to me, is it worth it? If, is fruitful labor enough to follow Jesus in this world? I would tell you this. Jesus is always better than anything else in this world. But Paul came to this conclusion. Yes, that fruitful labor is enough because fruitful labor was to your benefit and my benefit. To live as Christ and to die as gain. That one day I'll enter into my reward, but today I'm here and I will be here faithfully, leading those that I love and God places me around into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what he said at the very end, that my fruitful labor will result in the boasting, the making known of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. To live as Christ and as long as God has me here, I'm going to be fruitful. But to die, to die is gain. And I don't have to fear death because death is nothing more than ushering in me to my reward. What a Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.